0: Welcome to Methods, a podcast from the ESRC National Centre for Research Methods. In today's episode, we discuss longitudinal data, what it is, and how it can help us better understand our lives. Our guest is Professor Vernon Gale from the University of Edinburgh, and co-author of a forthcoming book on analysing longitudinal data.
1: I tend to make the sort of distinction between cross-sectional data that's collected at one point in time, so your classic sort of survey longitudinal data where the same individuals or the same households are surveyed or interviewed a number of times. So that's the real sort of distinction. So, But really, longitudinal data is any data that really has a sort of temporal dimension.
0: So what sorts of things uh, to do with our lives can longitudinal data sort of help us look at and and better understand?
1: We can study any aspect of social and economic life with longitudinal data. The example I always think of is the Whitehall study. It's a very old study of civil servants and it revealed that inequalities of health are not just limited to the consequences of poverty. So these folks weren't in poverty, they were civil servants, but a study demonstrated that the occupational hierarchy was still intimately bound up to their le- later health outcomes and their, their health chances. Um, but I probably normally point to um, income and poverty in, in Britain. By about the 1980s it became quite clear that there was a sort of persistent level of poverty across the UK. Um, but what we didn't know was whether the same households were in poverty over that period of time or whether some households were dipping in and others were were climbing out of poverty. And this was well known in countries like uh, the US and Germany, but they already had household longitudinal studies. They could study poverty more dynamically. And we found that there was a sort of flux. There there were some British um, households that were falling into poverty and some that were climbing out. And this finding was very important because it it both influenced uh, the Labour Party's welfare reforms when they came to government, But I would say, equally importantly, that the concept of household poverty being dynamic um, really fed into how we measure living standards and uh, how living standards are monitored in Britain. And now those measures are standard in, in government research.
0: You mentioned poverty and health there. I, I wonder if there are certain things that only longitudinal data can help us with or, or where it would at least be better to
1: use it. Yeah, so, for example, when PhD students come to see me and, uh, and have a chat, I quite often say, well, for many research questions, cross-sectional data will be absolutely adequate. However, most studies will be improved with some longitudinal data and then there are some some things that you really have to have longitudinal data. And the most obvious examples are policy examples where you want to know what was going on before, then the policy happens, and then what's going on after. Um, but I tell a story, certainly to my, my fourth-year students, last year, final-year students. I tell them a story about a boy called Jason Jones, and he's about 10 years old, and one day he comes home from school, and he notices his dad's car's not outside. And he goes in and... Um, His mum's in the kitchen and she's crying and she says that their dad has left them. Um, But their dad rapidly loses contact with them and he doesn't provide any financial support. And the Jones family, you know, life becomes awful uh, for them. And then a few years later, he's coming back from school again and there's an unfamiliar car parked outside and he he goes um, inside the house and his mum is there and she introduces him to a man who she says is her new friend. And he's a nice fellow called Mike and he starts hanging around the house more and after a while, he buys Jason a PlayStation, and um, then after a bit, they go on holiday together. And then shortly after they go on holiday, uh, Mike moves in, and the, the household, you know, things become a lot brighter, and there's more money in the household, and everything seems quite happy. And then about a year later, Jason comes home one day, and he goes into the house, and he notices his PlayStation isn't uh, isn't where it normally is, and he looks out, and he notices Mike's car isn't there. And once again, his mum's in the kitchen crying. And we can probably guess what's the next part of the story. But again, this is the sort of thing where with cross-sectional data at any point in time, we might not have had a good idea of what was going on in terms of the dynamics of the family. But there's lots of things going on there. And really, if we have comprehensive data that followed their experience over even this short passage of time, it would give us a real sense of the dynamic nature of, um, you know, social and economic life and their their financial situation particularly.
0: Indeed. Now the NCRM Methods podcast is, as it sort of makes fairly plain, a podcast about research methods. So are there any specific benefits to methods researchers of working with longitudinal data?
1: Certainly. I always think that um, there are clearly times where we're trying to evaluate some changes before and after where it makes sense to have longitudinal data. So anything to do with the development of individuals or development over time, so if we look at children across their... Uh, childhood, or if we're looking at somebody across their work life or their marital history or their fertility history or whatever. You now clearly those things have a sort of naturally temporal nature. Much human behaviour is influenced by previous behaviour and outcomes. There's sort of a positive feedback and this is known as state dependence. So, for example, if you travel to work by car this week, you're probably more likely to travel to work by car next week. Certainly, I hope if you're married um, this month, you're more likely to be married next month. A very old paper, back in 1968, outlined the axiom of cumulative inertia and the axiom states that the probability of remaining in any state increases as a monotonic function of the duration of prior residence in that state. So we can think of things that, you know, how how past behaviour influences current behaviour and how we might with longitudinal data be able to kind of incorporate this in some of our analyses.
0: Now Britain has uh, an incredible portfolio of longitudinal studies doesn't it can you talk us through one of some of the ones that you think are the the most interesting or the the most brilliant?
1: Yeah well this is it could go on all day about the (laughs) the British holding it's actually one of the areas in in which we excel Um, Sir Ian Diamond when he was uh, director of the ESRC he always used to talk about the longitudinal data resources as being the jewel in our crown and it always struck me as slightly ironic a man called Diamond talking (laughs) about jewels but um, yeah so most notably we've got the the large scale nationally representative cohort studies the, the first most notable one and probably the longest running now is the 1946 birth cohort but equally we've got the 58 birth cohort and the 1970s birth cohort and they've had a huge amount of research undertaken over the years in, you know, in a wide variety of topics, both from people, uh, researchers in the UK, government, and uh, overseas researchers as well. More recently, the Millennium Cohort Study, a large scale data resource. It's uh, babies born at the start of the Millennium that have been followed through, so they're now getting to the end of compulsory school. Starting to go into education, training, and maybe even the world of work. Um, One of my favorite studies, the British Household Panel Study, started with 10,000 people in 5,000 households in about 1991. And more recently, we've got the, the largest household panel study in the world, the UK Household Longitudinal Study, which is sometimes known as Understanding Society. Britain, fantastically well-resourced with longitudinal data sets, many of them large-scale, many of them nationally representative. And then there's a whole host of more minor longitudinal studies. Um, But yeah, we certainly have a a wealth of of data available for social and and economic research.
0: What's your message, Vernon, to researchers who might hesitate to go down the road of, of using longitudinal data?
1: Most studies can be improved with the inclusion of some longitudinal data and for some questions longitudinal data are absolutely essential I would say think about the methodological benefits develop your skills in this area think hard about what you want to do and and the scope and scale of what you want to do historically we've thought about longitudinal data as only being important when we're studying social change but equally longitudinal data are important because they quite often reveal social stability and I think that's something we we often forget in discussions of of longitudinal um, data
0: is there a wider message as well, sort of for the for the users, if you like, the, the broader users, the potential beneficiaries of research here, whether they be policy makers or charities, indeed the, the the wider public?
1: Yeah, I think there's a fantastic message really. here. The old example of um, parents smoking in childhood having an effect on children's later health, you know, nowadays no one would dispute that at all. You know, it's a very strong and robust finding that is not only uh, change policy, but actually change behaviour at an individual level. And I, and I firmly believe now that even if we repealed the smoking laws, we still wouldn't go back to smoking in pubs or smoking in front of children, smoking in the home, and so on. So clearly, that's the sort of thing that you know we can only really know with longitudinal data, and has a kind of really had a kind of um, headlining effect in the way we live our lives on a day-to-day basis.
0: Yeah, that's an absolutely fantastic example. Now you've got a, a book about longitudinal data coming out uh, in the autumn. Tell us what we can expect from that.
1: I've written. It with my colleague Paul Lambert is uh, also a personal friend. We've worked a lot in this area. We've done a lot of training and uh, research capacity building in longitudinal data analysis uh, over the years. It will be published by Bloomsbury in um, September. It introduces you to longitudinal data analysis. Um, it links with some of our work at the NCRM on methods. There's a section on undertaking longitudinal analysis with cross-sectional data, which is important. Uh, there's a section on duration analysis, and there's a very uh, large section on the analysis of panel data, and some more general uh, information on the statistical modeling of, of large, large-scale and longitudinal data and uh, hopefully an accessible introduction to using uh, the Stata software to do so.
0: Vernon Gale was talking to Chris Garrington about his forthcoming book, What is Quantitative Longitudinal Data Analysis, which is co-authored with Paul Lambert and published by Bloomsbury.